We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Exxon TV. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. My email address, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. We're going to be talking to Sir Richard Haygate this hour about the Book of English Magic. Now, Sir Richard inherited his baronetcy and business acumen from his ancestor, Sir William Haygate, who was a well-known Lord Mayor of London and personal banker to the Regency. On his mother's side, he is descended from a long line of Celtic kings and queens, and for a time ran the family estate in Ireland. He is the author of Endangered Species, co-authored with his cousin and best friend Michael Daunt. Research for the book introduced him to England's extraordinary history as the center of emergent, uh, emerging interest in magic and the latter-day magicians who brought it to a worldwide 
both uh, public in Europe and the United States. This experience led him to write The Book of English Magic with Philip Cargom. He continues to combine writing about unusual subjects with a business career in high technology, the latest example being a global internet venture. Joining me now from the United Kingdom is Sir Richard Haygate. And uh, Sir Richard, welcome to the Exxon, sir. Thanks, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, tell me, Sir Richard, what is the purpose of magic? The purpose of magic is is quite simple. Um, I think the best explanation, I, one of the first things I did in the book, is I went to a uh, a fair, a pagan festival. I, I have to admit, when I went there, I was mm-hmm. um, a little bit unnerved by you know the strange clothing, and everyone seemed a bit. Uh, someone described them as they look more like extras for Mad Max Two, the magicians. <laughs> but but then um, then the person who got up to speak um, was a lady called Maxine Sanders. Now Maxine is. It goes right back to the real regeneration of magic. She was the, uh, uh, the, the, the wife of Alex Sanders, who founded one of the very large Wiccan uh, cults. Wicca is one of the fastest growing orders in the United States right now. Yes. And, uh, and Maxine was an um, extraordinarily beautiful uh, uh, lady at that time. And anyway, she, when she got up to speak, you know, the hall sort of fell a bit hush. And then someone dared ask her a question. The question was just what the one you posed to me, which said, what is the purpose of magic? And in particular, if you were going to invite someone to join your coven, because Wiccan's organized in covens of 13 people, what would you look for? And she said, it's dead simple. She said, a 16-year-old boy came the other day, and he, he basically gave exactly the right answer to the question. He said, I want power. And magic is for people who want power. Sir Richard, please stand by, sir. You and I have to take our first two-minute commercial break. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Sir Richard. Always a pleasure to talk to to people who bring light, enlightenment, and educate people about many of the wonders that we still have in this world today. Sir Richard Haygate is our very special guest to this Our Exxon Nation. We're talking about Sir Richard's The Book of English Magic, his website, www bookofenglishmagic.com and Sir Richard and I will be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break, XO Nation, as we continue from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everyone. Sir Richard Haygate is our special guest. We're talking about Sir Richard's new book, The Book of English Magic, which he wrote with Philip Cargong. His website is www.bookofenglishmagic.com. Tell me, Sir Richard, is magic real or is it just in the imagination of the believers? Magic is real. I, I, can't, I, can't, um, um, I can't believe that, any, that millions of people would want to, to spend time on something that is not real. There was mm. a... One of the things that, that introduced, I think, me to magic was a fantastic book, which is called A Doormark Summer by a, a well-known comedian, not well-known for magic, Michael Benteen, who, who basically worked with people like Peter Sellers uh, just after the war. And, and he, he, again, experimented with this question. He was a well-known psychic, as was his father. And they spent a long time investigating all sorts of magicians. So, you know, you had uh, people who were psychics, you had people who were richer magicians, etc., etc., etc. And their conclusion was roughly in about 10% of the cases, what they were doing was totally inexplicable and was real. In 90% of the cases, you might have people who were kind of making it up, of course, in the world of spiritualism. They have, there's a kind of a bad reputation for sort of fraudulent practice, but there's some real spiritualists. So the answer is, is that real magicians practice real magic. Now, the imagination, as you say, is, of course, part of it. Is, is, are you experiencing these things through the imagination, or is it, are you experiencing things for real? But the fact is, since you cannot sometimes see or feel real magic, you experience real magic through the imagination. So it may be complicated to say it, but actually it's both. Tell me, Sir Richard, where did modern magic come from? Modern magic, it's, it's fairly simple, really. It's, it's, it's magic, the strands of magic really go back uh, 2,000 years before. Most of it, in fact, came from the Far East, um, uh, in especially um, Egypt, in mm-hmm. Israel, Greece, and it, it would thrive there until it was stamped out firmly by the Emperor Constantine when he adopted Christianity. So there was a, a huge kind of, sort of like a death of magic um, about, about 300 AD, which culminated in burning down the great magical library, the great library of Alexandria. So it kind of disappeared underground for a very long time after that. But the good thing about it was it was all written down. It's like, you know, you can still read uh, Plato, 2,400 years later, well, the, the, the writings of magic, which actually how you do it, how you, would, how you would do ritual magic, they survived in libraries. And uh, the libraries might be in the hands of uh, well-off people, strange people like, you know, Marie Antoinette, the France had a fantastic magical library. And that 
sort of kept magic going too until it, it re-emerged. Um, the other place it survived was in probably uh, local people, local people who weren't doctors, look, I think the modern term is hedge witches, mm-hmm. uh, people who kept magical practice associated with healing, etc., at a very local level. And those, those two streams, if you like, the original stream of magic and the, the, if you like, the old stream of magic came together and resurfaced again in the, in the last 50 years. Tell me, Sir Richard, is there a difference between magic and spellcasting? Now, spellcasting is simply a form of magic. As I ah. said, as I said, when I said magic is power, mm-hmm. um, one of the people who refounded magic, Gerald Gardner, who, who refounded the other form of, of, of Wicca, um, he came from the the Southeast Asia, and there you will find the local magicians, the Bomors, they're called, and they will have outside their kind of surgery, if I can give it a word, mm-hmm. they will have various. Things they will do for you. They will. They will. They will give various spells. They will use various spirits. And and, and what they will be doing is what people want. They want. Uh, they want a better job. They want to do better in their business. They want to have a more beautiful wife. They want a male child. The most interesting thing about that is is that it, if it doesn't happen, they can they can get their money back. <laughs> wow! Magic with a guarantee. Yes. <laughs> so magic is real. And spellcasting is a form of magic. Sir Richard, um, why is your book called The Book of English Magic? What other kind of magic sorts are there? I think we call it The Book of English Magic because it's something that both Philip and I discovered. There's this very strange thing is that all modern magic has somehow been recreated in England. So if you take the main forms of magic, probably the you know one of the best known is 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 druidry, which yes. has now actually been officially been declared a religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly over here, of course, the druids were English. They were very very powerful magicians. Uh, Julius Caesar said the druids were the most powerful magicians in Europe, and that the Romans were so frightened of them that eventually they they stamped them out. They they murdered a lot of them. So you you had that tradition, but then. Over the last, especially over the last 500 years, the, the, the revival of modern magic has happened in England. So the other things you have, if you look at the so-called you know, orders like the religions of magic, you will have, for example, you will have the Golden Dawn, which is a society brought together in England about 1890. You'll have a much more infamous guy, which is Alistair Crowley, who people vilify, but was actually a powerful magician. His order which practices what he, he basically wrote down, is a corporation in the United States. But it was put together in the UK. And then you have Wicca, two, the two forms, maybe the, the three, third form of Wicca, all of which came together in the UK. Mm-hmm. And most recently you have other forms of magic called chaos magic. So England has been this sort of crucible where the modern magical orders have, have put, the, the if you like, the, the tricks of the trade together and made it into something which has grown and is growing at an incredible rate. Of course, when you think of, of, of England and you think of magic, one of the foremost names that comes to one's mind is Merlin. Yes. Well, Merlin, of course, was a Celtic, a Celtic magician mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and, very, and very powerful. And one of the most interesting things, of course, is to, is to try and figure out what the ancient Druids did, what made them so powerful. If you ever read uh, Robert Graves' book about Claudius the God, there's a wonderful thing where the Roman army has kind of just invaded England, it's marching through the streets, and suddenly this old guy, uh, looking like Merlin, you know, mm-hmm. comes out from the, the side of the road, and he just puts his hand up, and the entire army stops and can't move. 
and wow. the, there is a there's a belief that the, the magic of the ancient the ancient druids rather than modern druidry was immensely powerful and one of the things I, I've tried to do in the book is to find people who are if you like uh, the natural descendants of Merlin who passed his magic down from father to son, father to son, father to son over 2,000 years. And I found one of those. What was it like speaking to an actual descendant of, of Merlin? Uh, what I did is I kind of, I spoke to his disciple, unfortunately. Oh. The actual descendant by that time was dead. The disciple, if you like, has become his, his, his one of my best friends. And he was taught uh, rather like a kind of, uh, you know, a sort of young, real Harry Potter as a teenager by this old hill farmer who lived in Wales, who literally had the magic of Merlin um, in, 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 his, you know, in his heart. He could practice it. And um, it, it, it was extraordinary to understand the sort of things he believed in and they understand the things that he did. And to my mind, it was, if, if you like, it was more real, if I have a preference in magic, than the imported version. So my own personal preferences, I think that original magic of England is extraordinary. Speaking about Harry Potter, Sir Richard, what has Harry Potter done for magic? I think you, what, what you've seen, of course, is you've seen the, the fictional magic. It's not just Harry Potter. It started with, it, with Tolkien, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. What, and, and what Tolkien was doing was, of course, of talking the magic of the Anglo-Saxons. You know, the Middle Earth he talks about. Mm -hmm. The Middle Earth is basically one of the places that shamans, which of course you get, you get, sh you know, shamanic, uh, um, sh shamanic teachers in the United States a lot. Yes. There's a, the shamans and the, you know, the Native Indian population, and the Anglo-Saxons were were shamans, and Middle Earth is 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 where the shamans travel to and their spirit journeying. So it started with the, the if you like, the imagination of people of the kind of the Middle Earth world, and then we have Harry Potter, we have Philip Pullman, of course, uh, and. Uh, and all those people, the things that they, they have done, it's all based on actual magic. So when in Harry Potter, you've got wizards and you've got spells, all those things. I mean, J.K. Rowling understands what magic is about. So even though, you know, you think this is all fiction, in fact, it's all based on the same sort of fact that you, you practice in magic. And what is happening, especially, I think, to the young kids right now, is they want to try it themselves. And this has been uh, been supercharged by a lady from America called, of course, Stephanie Meyer, who's who has attracted a massive audience of teenagers. I think 50 million people have read her books, and it's it's like a jump on from Harry Potter because the people who read Stephanie Meyer want they they want a bit more reality. And as Stephanie Meyer is having a vampire as a boyfriend, I, here in America. Uh, I don't know what it's like over in the UK, but the television shows about vampires and werewolves are, are pulling in the highest ratings that networks have seen in a long time. And I was wondering, Sir Richard, if you might have an idea on why people are still so interested in not only magic, but in vampires and werewolves. It's a, it's kind of all part of the same thing, you know, that, that, that people are... Um, People are attracted by this other world, and why are they attracted by it? Well, you know, okay, pie is something, but the fact is, it's interesting and it's fun. There's a, there's, um, you know, one of the, the the very serious professors we interview in the book. Um, interesting, um, very interesting guy. He's a very serious professor of history, and he's when, he, when I interview him, he said, "Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a real magician myself, but I go a lot to uh, magical events. I go to rituals, etc." And I say, "Why?" 
He says, well, because it's, you know, it's more fun than going to church. <laughs> the truth is, mm. magic is fun. And um, there was um, a program in the, U- the UK, I'm not sure came, came across to you, which was Around the World in 80 Face. And it talked about various parts of the world uh, where, you know, Christianity and magic uh, uh, exist side by side. And I don't see why they shouldn't. I think they both have a, you know, a great role to play. But when you talk, when the, the, the program interviewed the younger people and they said, what are they like? They said they like magic because it was it had a you know a greater sense of reality they could kind of do what they wanted and it was fun i think one of the analogies i have of why they coexist is if you think that if you think that, that religion is more like you know buying your spirituality from a big store you get looked after you got told what to do you know you 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 you, you know you you can't get poisoned or make a mistake because That's it's right. very well controlled um, magic is like buying the same thing off the internet, you know? You don't know where to go to, it's full of exciting experiences. The two coexist together, but who uses the internet, the kids? Sir Richard, please stand by. Exonation Sir Richard Haygate is our special guest. We're talking about a book that he co-wrote with Philip Cargom entitled The Book of English Magic. His website is www.bookofenglishmagic.com and Sir Richard and I will be back after this news break as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www dot xzoneradiotv.com This hour in the X-Zone with our very special guest, Sir Richard Haygate. He is the co-author of 
The Book of English Magic, and their website is www.bookofenglishmagic.com. Tell me, Sir Richard, how did you write a book about such a secretive subject? How did you get your research done? It, it was it was very difficult, really, because I mean the the history, of course, is is pretty freely available um, mm. nowadays. Um, even the most kind of in the most secret text, because when magic um, was started again about a hundred years ago, people kept the text secret. But now you can download them off the internet, so that's all available. The difficult thing, of course, is talking to magicians, because people that that slender percentage of people who can really do magic. Um, to keep to themselves. And dare I say, magicians tend to talk to other magicians because if they don't, they simply get asked the same damn fool questions. You know, does, does magic work? Sure. What can you do? Show me something. You know, all this stuff, right? <clears throat> and, and therefore, they tend to... And, and, and the most important thing for, for us to do was to find who these people were. And what I, what I did was to find one or two and then one or two then people then began to trust me because, you know, that anything that I was going to write down, they said, obviously I was going to feed it back to them. They could, they could have editorial control over it. And I also had to be sympathetic to what they did. So an awful lot of what I did was to, to, if you like, to find people, then to find people who I believed were credible Mm -hmm. and then, uh, make myself acceptable to them, understand what they did and understand, you know, why they did it. So I could ask them sensible questions. The sensible questions were all around, you know, <clears throat> what is your form of magic? What do you do? What effect does it have? And, and ask them from not from a sort of, you know, disbelieving, you know, poking fun point of view, but from a serious point of view, because a lot of magic, the magicians have spent sometimes 10, 20 or 30 years learning their, their, their craft. Magic is often called a craft. So you've got to take them seriously. And, and finding our 50 magicians, and you will find them all interviewed in the book, um, was a tough thing to do, but it was a wonderful experience. So, Richard, have you witnessed magic? Yes. Could you, sh- could you share <laughs> yes. some of the, the, the magic that you've witnessed, sir? I, I, I can share a bit. I mean, we consciously said we weren't going to put our own personal experiences in the book, because if, if you did that, then everyone says, well, you know, you're, you're a loony because you mm-hmm. don't believe in this stuff. And therefore, what we did is we concentrated on three things. One is the, the real history of magic. Two is the reports, as I said, with the adepts. And thirdly, um, some suggestions about how people got started. On the other hand, yes, certain things happen. I think one of the most the strangest ones that, that really uh, happened to me in the book is, is I was... Um, I, I was researching a couple of things. One is the sort of the energy of England. That England, there's a lot of um, studies of Earth energy, ley lines, lines of energy which crisscross England, and and the interesting thing about about these is you can douse for them. Okay, there's instructions in the book about how to learn to douse, and I learned to douse myself. And the, one of the first things that fascinated me is that that I and another dowser could basically understand where these 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 invisible lines of energies were. And you could start us without talking to each other, and we kind of came to them in the same spot. So that was a bit of magic. And then the second thing you find is where the where the where the lines of energy cross. Mm-hmm. You tend to find churches. The right. most famous uh, line of energy called the St Michael line in the UK is covered with with churches called St Michael. And and the cross is actually right in the church in front of the altar. So you it begins to be in a. a, a, a um, a belief that this is not just a cross. This is what Philip Pullman calls this. This is a crack between the worlds, right? This is where you you can communicate from one world to the next, and this this shows you the exact spot. And I was really interested in finding out, therefore, 
what the Anglo-Saxons did because they were shamans and that this is what, this is what a shaman does, of course. A shaman communicates with spirits in the other world. So, to, and, and there's the, the, the knowledge that, that many of the Anglo-Saxon sacred places were then became the sites for uh, Latter-day Christianity. So we were trying to find a, a, a shamanistic spot, a shamanistic altar in England. And, um, and so th there wasn't one anywhere in books or anywhere in Google. So we, so, so we does for it. Okay. <laughs> and it took us, it says, there is, there is a, a shamanistic altar in this little tiny village. Well, we, we didn't believe it, but we ended up uh, talking to the most famous experts, like the modern Tolkien, uh, who lived quite close to it one day. We went and had lunch with him, and we just said, look, you know, we think there's a shamanistic uh, Saxon altar this bit. He said, how did you know? How did you possibly <laughs> know? Because no one knows that but me. So, so we went there, and sure enough, we found an incredible stone which was carved with runes. And, and I wasn't quite sure what to make of it until I, I talked a bit later to one of the most famous dowsers in England. And again, he said the same thing. He said, how did you find this? I think no one in England knows, knows what it is apart from me. And he showed us the runes, and I said, what is it? Oh, he said, it's quite simple. It's a flying stone. It's a stone which a shaman which could hold and would then help him to travel to the to the, the spirit world. So by a little bit of magic, mm -hmm. which is totally inexplicable to me, we succeeded in finding a genuine shamanic Anglo-Saxon altar, which probably hadn't been used for 1,500 years. It seems that there is undoubtedly a connection between the church and magic. So why is there that resistance from the church to accept magic as part of its doctrine? I, I'm not, you, know, I'm, I, you have to sort of go back in the history. I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I love churches and I yes. kind of, I, I love the church. I was, you know, I was brought up, sure. obviously going to church. And, and, and I'm not sure that really that there is that hostility. Is If you go back in the history, there was a hostility in, in about the third or fourth century when the church was trying to figure out what was the one true gospel. You know, there was all sorts of gospels coming from various places. They had to figure out what was the right one. And, and, and what they, what they, were, they were just as tough on pagans as they were on heretics. And for a long time, even almost a thousand years after that, if you look at where the church, if you like, really put its 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 anti um, its antis, it was against it was against heretics, not magicians. And the great example is in the 12th century, where the the first crusade in Europe wiped out nearly one million heretics in in southwest France. And these heretics, they weren't the magicians; they were Christians. They just thought about it a different way. And where did the church again, if you like, have a go at the pagans? Probably in the 17th century when you had all the witchcraft stuff. And what was that? What was the witchcraft stuff about? Again, it was the, it was the modern uh, non-Catholic church, which was having, you know, again, I think trying to form up what it was doing. And it, it really decided that witchcraft was something it was going to have a go at. But I, I find it existing um, in a very compatible way, as I said, I think one of my greatest friends is, is a very well-known Catholic priest. He's an extraordinary person, this. He can, dare I say it, he can perform miracles. He can perform miracles of healing. And he, uh, I, he was a, a christening the other day I was at. And he, he was basically using, you know, the water and the oil. And he paused halfway through. He said, I'm doing this to drive out evil spirits. And he said, I know you don't believe in evil spirits, but they exist. And at the end, I went out and I said, you're not a priest, you're a magician, he said. That's the same thing. <laughs> what are some of the risks 
involved with performing magic, if any? Yes, there are two very bad risks. The first bit, the first risk is the risk of um, having someone who is using magic to gain power over people. And of course, you know, we're not talking about the word of cults, the world of gurus, the word of people who use magic to gain control of the minds and the wallets and all sorts of other things of people who are, who are gullible and often people who are defenseless. And uh, it happens everywhere. It, as you know, it happens in the United States. I'm sure you can think of a few good examples. Oh, definitely. It in, <laughs> it's in India. And so the first risk is if you are going to join a magical order, be very careful who is running it mm. and figure out what they're doing it for because if they're doing it to gain power over their group, run. So it's uh, it, in, in a sense, that's why the church is so good because you know someone's not going to do the same thing to you. So for a lot of people, stay with the church because if you're going to go out to magicians, said it is like buying something from the internet. You don't know who you're dealing with. And so you could deal with a, not a, just a fraud, but someone who could ruin your life. Okay? Now, the second thing is quite different, which is the fact is that there are not only unpleasant people on this side, there are unpleasant people on the other side. Don't forget magic is about dealing with the spirit world, right? Right. And there's, and there's a wonderful story in, in one of my favorite books about um, a guy who's a, who runs a pub in England. Okay? And his problem is he can't, he can't get too many customers. He discovers that he has a trick which he can predict the results of horse races. Yeah? So he does this, and he gives his customers the winners, and they all pile into the pub. So one day he tries to ask where the thing is coming from. So he gets out one of these home kits for talking to the spirit world, you know, glasses, glass-turning, planchette. Oh, gosh, yeah. And the answer says, old friend. Okay? And he thinks, oh, well, old friend, that sounds good. But this, is, this old friend is not a friend. This is an incredibly unpleasant spirit who begins to take the guy over. And eventually, he's so frightened, he asks uh, some uh, magician friends to perform an exorcism. And, they, and it's horrific. It's far worse than the exorcist. You know, things get thrown around, evil smells, this ghastly thing materializes. Really horrific experience. But eventually, they get rid of old friend. The problem is for the publican is, of course, he can't predict the racing results any longer. So the inevitable happened. He calls back old friend. He ends up in a padded cell. That's not my story. That's a story, again, from my friend, the, uh, the very well-known comedian. So, yes, there are nasty things out there. The church is right. There are demons. There are unpleasantnesses. And the first thing you get taught as a magician is how to get rid of them. How does a magician get rid of evil, evil spirits? Well, <laughs> I said you can even download a method from the Internet. The first thing you get taught in ritual magic is banishing, okay? which is how to get rid of things. How, what are the, the, you know, the, the spells, mm -hmm. the rituals to get rid of evil spirits? That's one way. There's another way, um, which, is, which is weird. It's like what I call the, the, the playground bully syndrome. You know, if you get bullied by someone, you tend to find a friend who's bigger and tougher than the bully. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm, there's a wonderful shaman in England who learned his shamanic treatment all over the world, including in Brazil mm -hmm. and, and, and Haiti and Miami. And, and he had these problems, and so he basically figured out that, that, that he had to have a, 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 an ally who was powerful. And he chose a spirit who was very like Kali. Kali is the, is the Indian goddess of, of, of destruction, you know, a very, very powerful woman. And, and from that moment on, when he had an ally which is, who was tougher and more unpleasant, anything attacking him, he was okay. Sounds weird. Playground bully syndrome.
Sir Richard, has magic been outdated by science? I don't think so. I think I think I find it quite the opposite. I, I I find it kind of difficult. You know, when I was at school and I learned atomic physics, you know, you would you 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 learnt about these these round things which kind of circled in the air around other round things and. And now every time I read it, I read particle physics. It's different. They keep on they keep on reinventing it the whole time. Hmm. And um, do they really know what what even the most basic question is? You know what matter is. I mean, you probably probably read that we had you know one of the biggest biggest uh, nuclear accelerators in the world built in Switzerland recently. And the question was, when they turn it on, will we all disappear into a black hole? So do scientists really know what they're doing? Um, uh, on one one aspect, you know, I could say that you, your your belief in magic starts when you you encounter something totally inexplicable by science. So, for example, that simple thing that that I had when I discovered something which was which was not in any book, and I couldn't find my way to it, and I find it by a magical trick called dowsing. Or science cannot work out how dowsing works, yet it does. So until the two, uh, the two things come together, that, that, that uh, science can explain the things in magic, then, you know, that they, they will be apart, but I think they will come together. My, my belief is that the, the two will come together eventually. Sir Richard, please stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Exo Nation, our special guest this hour is Sir Richard Haygate. We're talking about Sir Richard's newest book entitled... The Book of English Magic. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Sir Richard or if you'd like to uh, get a copy of his book, you can go to www.bookofenglishmagic.com. That's www.bookofenglishmagic.com. Or you can go to overlookpress.com. That's www.overlookpress.com. And don't forget the name of Sir Richard's book is Book of English Magic. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide, toll-free. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. The Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell, Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Exxon TV. Sir Richard and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Never been away, hey. Never seen a daybreak. Leaning on my pillow in the Sir Richard Haygate's our special guest. He's the author of the Book of English Magic. 
www.bookofenglishmagic.com. Sir Richard, can anyone practice magic, or does it take special talents, special skills? It certainly helps if you have some degree of, of a psychic skill, which is a which is a skill which you can learn, but also. In many cases, people people inherit it, mm-hmm. um, so that certainly helps. Um, but you, but anyone can practice it. You just learn faster if you're psychic. Let me ask you a futuristic question: Where do you think the world of magic will be in another hundred years from now? I suspect that magic will be a, a, acceptable just as another part of life, and in that, in that, you know, one of the things that I think, especially the young find right now, is life is boring. You know, mm. um, I mean, talking to some of my my son's friends the other day, they were just saying, you know, we don't like our work. We don't li- we don't like what we do. Life is too dull. The fact about magic is, it will attract people, and it will continue to grow at an incredibly rapid rate because it is exciting to do. It's exciting to do. It is powerful. It, it also it, it makes you question science, and it's fun. And, and, and I believe that all that will make magic, if you like, to be practiced quite normally. I mean, for example, you can, you can actually learn magic. You can learn shamanism in universities in this country. I'm not sure it happens in the, in the States, and I think you've got to find that everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that the last, the last um, I suppose, 30 years, especially since the 60s and the 70s, it's come out of the cupboard. In 100 years' time, it'll be absolutely normal for people to learn magic and to practice magic. Sir, prediction. Sir Richard, what would you like to leave the members of the Exxon Nation with tonight, sir? What I would, what I would, would like to leave them with is, 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 is stop demonizing it. Stop saying magic is only for loonies and it's somehow bad and evil. It is simply another way of experiencing life. And what I would like to leave people is, is learn about it, try it seriously, find other good and interesting people to practice it with who you trust, and just experiment. And if something happens to you which you can't explain, you're hooked. Sir Richard, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you for sharing the information that you have tonight with us on magic. And I wish you all the world of success with your new book, The English Book of Magic. Thanks, Rob. Take care, sir. Sir Richard Haygate has been my guest to this hour, Nation. He is the author along with... Um, Philip Cargom of the new book, The Book of English Magic. It's available at www.bookofenglishmagic.com. That's www.bookofenglishmagic.com. Or you can also go to overlookpress.com. That's www.overlookpress.com. Exonation, we're going to be back on the other side of this break. More from the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. Whether you're a believer or you're a skeptic, you're here with me, Rob McConnell, in the X-Zone. You know, after doing this show now for nearly 20 years, I'm going to tell you something. I've heard some incredible stories, talked to some of the greatest people that anyone could ever hope to talk to. And magic lives Magic is in the heart of one and all. And if you think I'm kidding, just just remember Christmas morning, the magic, the wonderment, and the feeling you get inside, or when you see your baby smile. Magic is all around us. We just have to look. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news. Don't go away. Don't go away. 